Coming up on today's message with Pastor Johnny. Just because something sounds good does not mean that it is of God. Just because you felt something that they said doesn't mean that it is of God. We can repeat the ritualistic information over and over again and have no meaning other than this is what we do, this is what we always do, this is what we're going to keep doing. Well, That's what got lost in translation. Everybody going to church dressing the way we want them to dress, talking the way we want them to talk, knowing how to respond to the ritualistic back and forth, knowing how to do the liturgy, knowing when to clap, knowing when to say the thing. They can be saying all the right things, but be worshiping a completely different God than you. Father God, I thank you for every good and perfect gift that comes from above. You are the author and the finisher of our faith. You are the maker of every good and perfect thing. Lord, I ask that every word that I speak, every thought that I think be acceptable in your sight. Hide me behind your cross. Allow me to point people to Jesus. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Uh, For the time that is ours to share together briefly, I want to talk a little bit about disruptions. Disruptions. Often when change happens, it totally disrupts the world as we know it. Change is inconvenient and disruptive. Uh, Democracy disrupted monarchy. Uh, The automobile industry disrupted the horse and buggy industry. Email disrupted the postal service. Personal computers disrupted typewriters. Stereos, reel-to-reel tape recorders, players, VCRs, cassette tapes, beta, disrupted. Disruption. You can go on and on and on and on. But sometimes new industries are generated while other times businesses fail. Mm -hmm. But still, we wouldn't have it any other way. Uh, As one writer says, few people are crying that Edison put lamp makers out of business. Mm. Disruptions continue. It continues today in the form of the devices that we carry around on our wrists and in our pockets or in our purses. Uh, sensors, cloud, infrastructure, data and business, intelligence tools, artificial intelligence, robotics, nanomaterials, biotech, 
quantum computing, the internet of all things, the internet of things, they're all changing, they're transforming, they're disrupting. I couldn't imagine uh, 20 years ago being able to pay my bills on my phone. Now, I don't know how I'd do it without it. Uh, but before I moved into the parsonage, uh, when I was living at another house paying rent, I quick paid from my phone the rent. Now, I don't imagine how I do it. The things are all changing. There's a disruption. Uh, but there was disruption long before we started talking about technology. Things were being disrupted. The status quo was being disrupted. There's disruptive information in the Bible, too. Uh, there's an angel of the Lord appearing to Moses in a sagebush bonfire. Uh, because he can't believe his eyes, he stops and looks at the great sight. Uh, there's Peter, James, and John on the mountaintop with Jesus, and he's transfigured before them. The appearance of his face changed, and his clothes become dazzling white, and the disciples are wondering, what is going on here? And a voice says, this is my son who I am chosen. Listen to him. That's a disruption. Uh, what about the first Easter morning? Uh, the women going to the tomb and finding the stone rolled away. The women. This is not my Easter sermon. Sorry, I just, just, just keep pointing out. Every time we go to the tomb, I'm going to just say, who was there first? Who preached the first Easter sermon? They told the disciples. But anyway, they go to find this stone rolled away. That's disruptive. And they can't find the body in there. That's disruptive. They stare, not, not being able to understand what's going on and see two men in dazzling roles telling them that he is not here. Jesus has risen. That is disruptive. Mm -hmm. And then they take the news to the disciples and, and the world is never the same. Amen. A burning bush, a transfiguration, an empty tomb. Just three examples in the Bible of disruption, mm. disruptive information. And notice that all three of these images involve Im uh, uh, images of light or brightness. Uh, saying that what was about to happen would somehow brighten or enlighten or at the very least hint that something new was about to be launched. Amen. Change. And in each case, there's an initial time of confusion. Why? Because the old framework, the way we've always done it, the way I'm used to doing it, the way I would like it to be done changes. It gets replaced with a new thing. Something new emerges in the book of Acts when the apostle Paul and his buddy Silas arrive at the city of Philippi. It's a Roman colony. And after Paul arrives, he comes in contact with a slave girl. And, and, and they, because of what happens with that contact with the slave girl, they are dragged in front of authorities. There's a slave girl that they come across in, in the text, and, and, and it says that uh, she had a spirit of divination in verse 16. Now, it happened as they went to prayer. 
Now, as it happened, as we went to prayer. Now, as it happened, as we went to prayer. Uh, I'm going to be going over that often and off, over and over again. There's some things that's got to be consistent about what we do if we're going to call ourselves believers. But they come across this divination. Uh, and when you break down the Greek, it's actually a Pythian spirit. And this demon girl and this demon inside this girl allows her to tell fortunes, earning a bunch of money for the slave masters. And I didn't read this part, but before we get to this, um, this, this slave girl, there's a contrast between somebody she run, that Paul and Silas run into uh, by the name of uh, Lydia. And Lydia is a head of household. She's a business owner. She has some means about herself. And they go right from, and I like when I see that in the Bible, that you go right from somebody who's way up here to dealing with somebody who's down here. It lets me know that my God is able to deal with all. It doesn't matter how high you've risen. It doesn't matter how low you fall. Yes, yes. God is able to deal with you. And so uh, earlier in the chapter, he deals with Lydia. And then he goes from Lydia to this slave girl. And Lydia was a head of household. And this poor girl has someone who is head over her. And so they have this demon in this girl. And there's some money that is being produced. Let the church say money. Uh, yes, and because there's money to be produced, there is a message to be had. Let the church say message. Ah, uh, He says that this girl followed Paul and, and us crying out saying, these men are the servants of the most high God who, God who proclaimed to us the way of salvation. And she did it for many days, but Paul got annoyed with it. Uh, there's something... <laughs> that gets lost in the translation that I, I just want to point out right here. Why would Paul get annoyed at somebody going around saying that this is the son of the most high God? Ah, well, now I'm glad you asked. Well, I'll go ahead and tell you. Because when they used that term in the biblical days, they weren't always talking about the same God. Uh, the, 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 uh, the servants of the most high God, rather, not the son, but the servants of the most high God was if a Jewish person heard it, they thought that that person was talking about Yahweh or Jehovah. But if a Greek person heard it, they thought they were talking about Zeus. Just because something sounds good does not mean that it is of God. Just because you felt something that they said doesn't mean that it is of God. We can repeat the ritualistic information over and over again and have no meaning other than this is what we do, this is what we always do, this is what we're going to keep doing. Well, That's what got lost in translation. Everybody going to church dressing the way we want them to dress, talking the way we want them to talk, knowing how to respond to the ritualistic back and forth, knowing how to do the liturgy, knowing when to clap, knowing when to say the thing. They can be saying all the right things but be worshiping a completely different God than you. We get caught up in the uniform and the language and the credentials and, the, and our own little vetting process, how we made them look so that they can pass our muster so that they be good enough to get into the heaven that we're going to put them in. But we overlook the heart. And so there's deliverance. He is set free. 
this, this, this uh, most high God can be confused. This most high God that they are talking about, there could be some confusion, rather, to those who hear it. So he commands her in the name of Jesus Christ. So there is no confusion to come about. There's no confusion out of that. There's no way to look at somebody that's worshiping the, the, the liturgy or their favorite song or who sung it or how it's being sung or I want the order of service to go this way or I want this person to be doing this. They're not worshiping any of that. Mm. Just because it sounds good, these are the servants of the most high God. Well, which God are we talking about? And so she's delivered, she's set free, and, and Paul commands the demon to leave her. And the apostles, even though the girl is set free, the apostles get set upon. Paul and Silas are arrested, beaten, and imprisoned. Why? Because they disrupted the status quo. Once Paul started causing these people to lose money, oh no, you, you can't mess with my pockets. You can't mess with this money. We had a good scam going, and you done messed it up. But they couldn't just go to the authorities and say, uh, they're messing up my scam. I had a good scam running, but they, they said that what they were doing was disrupting the status quo, that it was not lawful. If you want to get somebody, and, 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 and not only that, but they started to separate uh, the Jews from the Romans when they did this. If you ever <laughs> want to stir up some mess, if you ever want to get some people fearful, if you ever want to cause some conflict, all you got to do is make it look like us versus them. If you get some us versus them type talking, you can stir the mess and back on up out and watch people fight each other. And that's what these people did. They took them before and started putting the Romans against the Jews. The established authority against this new thing that these people were doing. Uh, traditional versus contemporary. <clears throat> Amen lights. And so they did this thing, and I don't see, when I read the text, I don't see any court verdict. I don't see anything. They just got in there. They said, uh, these Jews are messing up with these Roman, us good Roman folk are doing, and everybody started getting beat up. And then thrown in prison. And so they got this prison guard, and he has a command. Let the church say command. command. He is in order to to secure these two prisoners. And the text implies that he might forfeit his life if he doesn't. So he puts them in the deepest cell. And not only puts them in the deepest cell, but puts them in, 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 in stocks, handcuffs them, locks them up in stocks in the deepest part of the prison. But even though the prisoner was, the prison guard rather had a command, he came across some confusion. Let the church say confusion. confusion. Uh, there's some confusion, number one, because at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying. Yeah. Let's back up. They had some fakers all around them. They got rid of the fakers and got beat up. 
severely. The text says that they had stripes from the beatings. They were beaten severely and then thrown in prison. The prison during that time would, would uh, if, if you took somebody out of a prison during the biblical time and put them into some of our prisons we have now, it looked like a vacation. They weren't even obligated to feed prisoners back then. That's why Paul, I mean, James uh, said that, that uh, uh, true religion was to visit those in prison. Because they didn't even get fed. And so these people are locked up in the deepest recess of prison. And even though they're locked up in the deepest recess of prison and it's midnight, they still have an opportunity to pray and sing hymns. No matter what's going on, they still had a praise. This joy that they had, nobody gave it to them so nobody could take it away. No matter what's going on, the Bible told us that there were going to be some problems. So we got to understand the praise. Through much prayer and supplication, you let your request be made known to God so that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. The Bible says to call on him while he's near and seek him while he may be found. So if they can pray after a beating, I can pray after a hard day. If they can pray after being put in prison, I can pray when things ain't going my way. No matter what's going on, we ought to pray. Pray. They prayed in prison. And so there was some singing of the prisoners and the singing of the prisoners caused the shaking of the prison. God sent an earthquake and freed all of the inmates. Freed them from the deepest cell of the darkest night, even though they were locked up in the stocks. Even the pagans would understand an earthquake to be an act of God. And so this prison guard goes from confusion to consternation. He's upset. He assumes that the prisoners have escaped and he is ready to pay the price. And he assumes that, but then he's, he asks and Paul tells him that no one has escaped the prison. They could have walked out. But Paul still understood he had a, he had a job to do. He had a calling. He had a mission. If he was a New Testament reader, I think he'd be reading Matthew 28 where it talks about going out in the world and making disciples of Jesus Christ and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So he was good to somebody who wasn't good to him. He was good to somebody who had imprisoned him. And locked him up in the deepest cell at midnight. And so he assumes, but once he sees that they have, uh, he asks, what must I do to be saved? It doesn't matter the location. You ought to be ready to be a witness. It doesn't matter. He saved, he, and, and this man was saved. He was saved from the possibility of losing his job. He was saved from the possibility of losing his life. And he was saved from the possibility, this prison guard, of, of the eternal separation from God. We have to be willing to witness. And I'm upset 
and, 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 and I'm upset, but I am encouraged as well that maybe this can change. But statistically speaking, all of us believers, eight out of ten will never lead a new person to Christ. Eight out of ten believers will never, and they not, and I'm talking their entire lifetime. I'm not talking, and not counting your kids who you start dragging to church. But eight out of ten believers, according to a, a statistic that was recently quoted, eight out of ten will not bring somebody new to Christ. And I kept trying to figure out how is it that there are more than 6.3 million people in the Houston metropolitan area from, from uh, uh, as north, far north as Conroe and as far south as Galveston. And only 400,000 will go to church on a given Sunday. That's why. We've lost our mission. And here we have somebody in the text that is willing to not only witness to people, but to witness to the people who just got finished trying to do him in. And so he's converted. And responded to Paul, the jailer, and his family. Not just him, but and his family. The text says, you and all your house." Hold. So it wasn't just about him, it was about everybody in his household. And when you see household in the Bible, uh, especially in the book of Acts, anywhere else, that's everybody in the house. That's the father, the mother, the children, regardless of their age. That's even the people that work for them in the house, including the servants. Everybody got to get in line. And he's converted. And after the conversion, there is a celebration. Let the church say celebration. celebration. Uh, with great joy. It says in 34, uh, that, uh, uh, well, rather in, in, in 33, it says that he took them that same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately all, he and all his family were baptized. And now when he brought them into his house, he set food before them. And he rejoiced, having believed in God and all his household. So when there is a conversion, there ought to be a celebration. Amen. There ought to be something that you think about. When I think back to over my life, and I look at where the Lord has brought me from, and I understand that it had, if it had not been for the Lord on my side, where would I be? When I think of his goodness... And all he's done for me, my soul cries out, hallelujah, thank God for saving me. Here you have your own enemy coming right in front of him and he's now helping him. Oh, I remember somewhere, uh, I think it's uh, in Genesis where Joseph said, what you meant for evil. God worked out for my good and if I was to go somewhere in Psalms it says something about preparing a table for me in the presence of my enemies so if you are willing to walk a little more with God he'll be willing to walk with you just like this person was out for Paul and Silas's evil and it had to end up turning for good he can, if he can do that for Paul and Silas he can do that for you there's going to be somebody who, 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 who has been 
hating your guts, but they're going to have to be the person that helps you step through this next level. There's going to be somebody that has some intentions for evil, but they're going to be the one that walk you into your next level. Celebration. Celebration. All because he did something in the name. We got to this point because he did something in the name. He ended up in prison because he did something in the name of the name that every knee shall bow, the name that every tongue shall confess, the name that causes demons to flee, the name that is more powerful, the name that can do exceedingly abundantly above all you could ever ask or imagine, a name that causes the enemies to be defeated. It was in that name, and that name got power when it came through 42 generations. That name was the reason that when all the way to Golgotha, a.k.a. the place of the skull. That name was made when it was put in a borrowed tomb. That name was made when it died. A real death, not a metaphysical, a real death. But that name was also made on the third day when he rose with all power in his hands. It was that name that healed the girl of the demon. It was that name that they sang praises to in prison. And it was that name that caused that jailer to be saved. And it's that same name that we all can be saved by. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved in that name. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the doors of the church are open and we invite you to come. Thank you for listening to this message. Be sure to subscribe to us on YouTube, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you found this message. If this message blessed you, be a blessing to someone else and share it. Connect with Pastor Johnny on Instagram and Twitter, and be sure to like Faith UMC Dickinson on Facebook.